0: Every moment is a chance to turn a new page. Mm-hmm. You know, Every moment is a chance to be reborn anew.
1: Thank you for joining us on Doorknob Comments, a podcast that we created to discuss all things involving mental health. We take the view that psychiatry is not just about the absence of illness, but rather the positive qualities, presence of health, and strong relationships, and all the wonderful things that make life worth living. I'm Dr. Farrah White.
0: And I'm Dr. Grant Brenner. Hello, and welcome to Doorknob Comments Podcast. I'm Grant Brenner. I'm here with my co-host, Farrah White. Hi there. Right. It's the first week of December. It's December mm-hmm. 2nd, and we are looking forward to the new year. It's a strange time, and so we thought today we would talk about New Year's.
1: I've never looked forward to the new year more. I have this year. I think 2020 has just been really tough. What I was interested in talking about today is just the idea of sort of starting fresh and letting go. And I think that New Year's is a good time to try to do that.
0: People do that characteristically, right? The New Year's resolution, it's an attempt to use a change that I guess is societally kind of normed to motivate personal growth.
1: And that's why I don't celebrate like New Year's Eve or anything, but I like that reflective aspect of
0: it. Well, I thought New Year's Eve indiscretions were the main motivator for the positive <laughs> changes in the new year. It wasn't that the idea. It's kind of th- like, that's when you hit rock bottom.
1: No, I don't think so. I don't know. No. Not for me. I don't think I've even stayed up till midnight.
0: <laughs> oh, you really avoid the
1: turn of the year, it sounds like. Generally speaking, although that was my thought that this year it's going to be a positive thing for a lot of people.
0: I always love New Year's Eve. I mean, typically, you know, I'm up I'm up for a decent celebration, but it stirs up a lot of complex feelings for people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a sort of, a, you know, the old man, old man, New Year. But the idea is that the year is a person and mm-hmm. the new year is a baby. Okay. And by the end of the year, it, the, he's an old man. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's, it's on New Year's Eve that the old man and the baby kind of... Um, <laughs> so that baton is handed off. And so, you know, the idea that I think you're bringing up is that the beginning of the year is kind of like a, a time of rebirth. It also marks kind of like the middle of the winter in, in a sense. It's
1: sort of the last holiday before the long stretch until spring. So January is like, I think, a time where people really reset. A lot of people do a dry January. But,
0: but... what I mean is that like the middle of the winter, sort of from an evolutionary point of view is usually a time of pestilence and famine and survival. Generally we're fortunate nowadays cuz mm-hmm. you know we have refrigeration and supermarkets and generally pretty good control over diseases the current covid pandemic, you know, notwithstanding though there there is a vaccine. The the new year could be a time of kind of sort of passing the midway point.
1: Yeah. And, or you were saying that it can be a time of famine, but I think these days it's more like hibernation.
0: And overeating.
1: Overeating, overindulging.
0: It, it may be like, you know, there's something called uh, terror management theory. Mm-hmm. So this is based on the work of Ernest Becker. Okay. Interested listeners, you know, there was a book in, in the early seventies, which is still pretty widely read uh, called Denial of Death. A lot of people are motivated to deal with the fact of, Mortality. And, you know, the winter and the end of the year kind of stirs up mortality thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so in terror management theory, they call that mortality salience. And if you do research, which people who research terror management theory have found that a lot of things are explained by this kind of annihilation anxiety, the fear of death. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of behaviors, you know, in psychoanalysis, we would call them like, reaction formations. Okay. Like you're afraid of death by starvation, so you eat a lot.
1: Sort of an analytic concept that when people are feeling some way inside that's uncomfortable for them for whatever reason and they want to disavow it, they act in the complete opposite way. Without knowing it. Right. So like if you bump into someone on the street that you really just like don't want to see, you might- Give them an overly enthusiastic hello.
0: (laughs) You tell your therapist that story and then Mm -hmm. they're like, well, that's interesting that you were like so happy to see them. I thought you said that you really disliked that person. And then you might say, I wonder why that is.
1: Uh, But I see. So I see what you're saying, how we're reacting against a fear of, of death by overindulging. But I think there are other reasons to overindulge boredom. That's interesting. No, I mean, a lot of the healthier activities and socializing and, you know, positive things uh, aren't able to to take us away. Like the gyms are closed. Some people are really good at working out at home, but not everyone is.
0: I'm sure you're wondering why I said boredom so knowingly mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah, it's on my mind. Since you asked. But it was, what, it was interesting to me because um, I'm going to make another kind of uh, psychology research reference that I love okay. so much. Okay. I read a paper a couple of weeks ago. It's called, and I found it elucidating. It's called On the Relation of Boredom and Sadistic Aggression. They studied a couple of thousand people and basically they, they created conditions that were very boring experimentally. And they found that when they make people bored, people become more sadistic. They're more likely to um, engage in sadistic behaviors in the experiment. For example, killing worms. I'm reading off this screen Mm -hmm. destroying other participants pay you know like they set up a scenario and they give you a chance to like lash out at someone else Mm -hmm. and they say however alternatives matter when several behavioral alternatives are available boredom only motivates sadistic behavior among individuals with high dispositional sadism so it means that for the average person, if you get bored and you don't have any outlet, you might become more sadistic. Mm-hmm. But if you have options, only people who tend to be sadistic in the first place use sadism to yeah. prevent boredom.
1: And do you think that that has something to do with the way that people treated each other during election time? and
0: Maybe during the holidays, you know, when, holidays. when you're cooped up yeah. or even, even maybe at family dinners, if if they devolve into conflict, as we were sort of talking about yeah. on one of our recent podcasts. Yeah how to sort of not not get bored, especially sort of doing Zoom or why why people joke often about getting drunk when they get together with their family.
1: Why to kind of diminish the tension and negative emotions.
0: Yeah, to like self-medicate.
1: Although I think this holiday season will have changed a lot of that. We talked about, I think I mentioned that it's a time to really reevaluate, to tap into our own desires and, and what we want to do. And that's why I think the turn of the, the year is a, a nice time to implement those changes. You were saying that you felt like it was kind of a construct or?
0: Well, it depends, you know, yeah. Like it's, a, it's, it's a social thing. You know, mm-hmm. a, lo- a lot of people are very aware of it being new years. And of course it's memorialized on television globally. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the one time of the year when you can see the, um, you can see the time zone sweeping around the planet, right? If you're watching TV, they're like, "Hey, eh, Brazil! You know, it's <laughs> it's New Year's, and you know, for for a, you know, half a day, yeah. you know, it's like 2021 where you are, and it's 2020 somewhere else, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. But I, I think the mortality piece is is really does sort of play on people's minds a lot, especially if it's been a, a rough time the way it has been. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the things is for people to be aware of their anxiety about this, and maybe that allows us to to make better use of our remaining time. Oh God. <laughs> so ridiculous. Sorry. I, I, know, I, I had to deal with mortality at a young age, mm-hmm. uh, as as some folks know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I have a little bit of a different Uh, stance you know in relation to it
1: you're like the father time in the meme and i'm like saying that this is a new baby is being born and how do we want to welcome it into the world
0: Right. Well, I don't think I'm being that grim. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that I don't necessarily mark the turn of the year in the same way. Like I've never really been one to see New Year's as like a time to you know start a new diet or resolve to you know work on that book I've always wanted to work on. I feel like every moment is the beginning of a new year. Every moment is a chance to turn a new page. Mm-hmm. You know, every moment is a chance to be reborn anew. So you never make any resolutions? I resolved not to make any resolutions early <laughs> on. Uh, I think in in the '80s uh, mm-hmm. around New Year's, I've, I've kept that resolution very well. So thank you, congratulations. Isn't, <laughs> isn't it weird? I know it's amazing, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, very impressive.
0: It's the longest um, resolution anyone's ever kept, possibly. But it never even crosses your mind. It crosses my mind because you know I'm bombarded with that messaging, you know, mm-hmm. culturally. Yeah, so you don't think that it's more. What are your New Year's resolutions?
1: Eat right, exercise more, be kind—all the things that I would want to do anyway. Really, I think this year I want to focus on being able to let go and being able to like manage the uncertainty.
0: What uncertainty?
1: And the uncertainty, like around the vaccine, the uncertainty around the presidency, the uncertainty around when and how is life gonna go back to, it's not going to necessarily be normal,
0: but a new normal. That's an interesting concept for sure. Like going back to normal. Um, definitely uncertainty is, is a huge factor in the ability to tolerate uncertainty. hmm negative capacity, negative capability, um, tolerating ambiguity um, th- that's challenging and, and and people who tend to be more anxious tend to have more trouble tolerating uncertainty because it relates to the ability sort of to feel a sense of predictability or control mm-hmm. over the future. Probably a lot of people are hopeful that 2021, 2021 um, <laughs> will be 2021 will be a better year, but I'm on the fence about it. You know, I'm gonna reserve judgment. I think a lot of things will change for the better. I think the vaccine is gonna be helpful, but I think we're still gonna be stuck with uh, coronavirus it'll change our way of life. I think things will get better politically. We already see signs even today. What, what were we looking at before? It was mm-hmm. the Secretary General of the UN made an unprecedented State of the World address, really urging us to pay attention to our own survival. Talk mm-hmm. about mortality salience. Mm-hmm. He's talking about species-wide extinction mm-hmm. and what we've got to do in order to, you know, head that off at the pass. And he referenced the U.S., Um, what he considers a lack of leadership on climate. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, you know, that'll be a good New Year's resolution for the planet. But it is true, like the world has undergone crazy, I I don't like to use that term loosely as a psychiatrist, but Mm -hmm. historically unprecedented changes in the last four years, largely because of information technology. I mean, stuff like We've lived through has gone on throughout yeah. the you know are the centuries, but the difference now is that we're all connected on this tiny little you know social yeah. media planet.
1: So, but I think that can be a force for good, right? So we should be able to really like change the direction of things.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm working on a piece in um in a in a disaster trauma and global health group. We're writing a letter to the editor. Uh, hopefully a a prestigious journal, you know, Mm -hmm. we can get published and we were trying to ask some big questions. But you know, you only have four hundred words to write about it. One of the questions I was tackling is a very heavy question, which is like, can the human race survive? And I started writing the answer to this last night. L- luckily, um, maybe one of our future guests is, is going to be on. And he's going to integrate everyone's okay. different responses into okay. a brilliant, you know, four hundred word uh, letter to the editor. <laughs> okay. But I wrote, I wrote the question: Can the human race survive? Mm-hmm. And the first thing I wrote was yes, we can survive. It's not can we survive, it's will we and how will we. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, the UN head, Gutierrez, was speaking at Columbia University, and listeners, go check out Columbia University's Earth Institute. Mm -hmm. They have these incredible programs for global peace and justice. There's a group there that studies world peace, and they look at societies that have achieved peace Mm -hmm. and have tightly defined how they, how they do it and what we would need to do. And one of the funny things that they cite, uh, Dr. White, mm-hmm. is they cite the research on relationships. And really? so things like, yeah, the Gottman Institute. So, you know, the ratio of positive to negative interactions has to be, you know, four to one or five mm-hmm. to one. So they look at peaceful societies and they look at the kinds of feedback loops they have. Mm-hmm. And the peaceful societies have a preponderance of positive interactions. So it's more of a community-based Attachment-based society that is peaceful. You know, a family.
1: Right. Well, that is lovely, and I think that if I remember from uh, Gottman's work, one of the big things, you know, there are these four horsemen of the apocalypse,
0: right? Of the relationship apocalypse. Yeah. So that's
1: that's, uh, stonewalling, criticism. Contempt. Contempt is the big one. And there's a fourth, but I don't know what it is. But anyway, contempt was really the one where if it was present, the relationship like stood
0: virtually no chance. On the flip side, if you want to get out of a relationship, if you behave contemptuously.
1: (laughs) Right. But I I think that we've been behaving contemptuously towards each other. Yeah. Only
0: for the last five million years. But what have you seen recently?
1: No, I'm just saying I think that that is what's, was ha- what happened with the election, and that happened between people, people who love each other and people who are, you know, families and connected and friendships, and right. like the election just blew a lot of that up.
0: Well, I'd say it brought out what was always there. Um, you may recall, I mean, we weren't alive then, but there was a civil war, mm-hmm. and you know, half a lifetime ago for the country, but I think it's it's sort of similar. Some people are predicting, you know, this is like a civil war type of scenario. I've seen jokes on social media where it's like, you know, roughly speaking, conservative versus progressives, and the conservative memes say... Um, if there's going to be a civil war, I'm glad I'm conservative because we're the ones with the guns, right? <laughs> and so the conflict is on the surface because we we've had leadership that that really is bringing the conflict out, right? Which is frightening. But oh, uh, from a psychoanalytic point of view, you know, in order to deal with conflict, you have to acknowledge it, but you know, without it blowing things up. For
1: sure, but I think that the root of a lot of this is seeing, you know, our fellow Americans, not as fellow Americans, but as other, because they're conservative or they're liberal or they're whatever. We can't, of, we
0: don't empathize.
1: Right, and then it's really hard to kind of be on the same team.
0: I so noticed. it was criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. Okay. So criticism, con-
1: defensiveness, okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well. So if you're having an argument with your significant other, it's very helpful for for that person if you say, "Hey, I think you're being defensive." <laughs> "I I think you're showing contempt toward me." Yeah,
1: well, the contempt actually is demonstrated. How do you know if someone is showing contempt? I think the eye roll. um,
0: I just assume that people are contemptuous and if I'm wrong, you know, it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah,
1: I'm sort of not clued in to people's contempt.
0: Oh, the eye roll. Um,
1: Yeah, but the eye roll is a really (sighs) big sign of it,
0: yeah. Oh my God, Mm -hmm. you always, right? You
1: never, yeah. Um, And then I don't know if Gottman has any suggestions or what we can do, but I think with contempt or resentment, which I'm surprised is not really one of the four horsemen, I I would add resentment in there because I think resentment is something that a lot of modern marriages carry around. How um, do you think that's different from,
0: how's that different from contempt?
1: So contempt, I feel like is real, like a more um, visceral kind of like hatred. Contempt is like
0: more on the surface, kind of?
1: Yeah. And it's more, I think, directed towards certain behaviors, or I I feel that resentment um, is more on the part of the person who holds it, right? So and you'll know that I do this a lot where people will sometimes agree to something that doesn't really work for them. And it's not the fault of the other person, but if we've, let's say, agreed, okay, I, I'm sure, I'll see this patient at 7.30 in the morning. And then I, I hold that resentment. It's really sort of on me and I'm the one who has to work it out.
0: So, if any of your patients are listening,
1: <laughs> they know that I don't get up early.
0: <laughs> you don't get up early, so you, you you don't. So you try not to make those deals with yourself that you then regret.
1: Right, mostly because I don't want someone else to be the object of resentment.
0: Yeah, I feel like resentment is is more like festering, like lingering mm-hmm. and and growing. Resentment is something that people usually uh, bottle up. Contempt mm-hmm. is like when it leaks out. Right.
1: So maybe it's two sides of the same coin. I don't know.
0: I don't know. You could call up Dr. Godman and let him know what yeah. you think okay. of, his, of his horses, yeah, of his horsemen. You know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are what? Pestilence, famine, disease, and death. Is that right? Yes.
1: I don't know. That's like some biblical stuff. I'm not up on that.
0: The book of Revelations. I mean, people were worried, you know, that it was, you know, Ragnarok was coming with mm-hmm. nuclear Korea and all that stuff a few years ago. Mm -hmm. From that point of view, I kind of wonder if um, we feel like we've backed off a little bit from the precipice. You know, a lot of people are breathing a collective sigh of relief to have a U.S. president come into power who appears to be sort of a more conventional, almost paternal figure. It's interesting. There's a a woman vice president, you know, for the first time.
1: Mm -hmm. And she's like super warm and and feminine. And
0: I was stoked to read that her husband, uh, like, gave up his high powered law firm position to, you mm. know, be the first husband, the first, first husband. Pretty, he's the second. The first, the first second, second husband. <laughs>
1: first, second husband. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. I think uh, it'll bring out the warmth and compassion and connection that we're sort of lacking. I mean, I'm not talking about really from a policy standpoint that I don't. I don't know.
0: So from an, like an attachment, like sort right. of fa- family point of view, who yeah. would you who would you want to be? Your, your parents, right. kind yeah, of. Yeah, so A lot have. of people would like to have Trump as a father, I gather. Mm,
1: I don't know. I think he reminds a lot of people of their fathers.
0: Well, you're but. saying, well, want to is in quotes, kind of. Right. They, might, they might have that orientation or valence. Yeah, I think it actually would be really hard to have Trump as a father. I guess it depends um, what kind of kid you are, maybe, but... <laughs> You know, I said "depositive force" because mm-hmm. I was I was making an oblique joke. And
1: what was what was it? Thank sure. you for
0: asking. I was yeah. referring to the work of uh, Vamek Volkan, who talks. About, he's a psychoanalyst, <laughs> I think, at the Baltimore Washington. Very oblique. <laughs> yeah. So (laughs) I wrote I wrote a blog on cancel culture, and I I used his work on large group psychology. So he talks about racism and bias. The way he describes it is that the culture you grow up in has these beliefs in it. Mm -hmm. And you like never really have a choice as a kid. Right. Like you're just raised in that culture. He says culture is like a tent and there are things written on the walls of the tent mm-hmm. and you're you're inside of that tent and you see what looks like reality. And he says, you know, those ideas are deposited in people. And so they become like, they seem like their reality. And so how do you talk to people who are in another tent when they have a different view of it? So the idea was kind of like, well, if someone tears down a civil war statue in the South somewhere, for some people that is, incredibly healing and liberating. And for other people, it's the destruction of everything they hold dear. And those two different worldviews, how can anyone sort of hold them together, you know?
1: Oh, because if we all learn and accept the fact that, well, maybe this other person did grow up in a different tent, grew up on different literature, grew up on, uh, you know, with different customs, then we don't blame them as much for not seeing the world in the same way. I think a lot of times we use, we forget that people grew up in these different tents. And then we use shame and humiliation and contempt. Um, we sort of throw that at people who,
0: who don't see things the same way. It's like re-traumatizing. Kind of, yeah. So, But it's hard to uh, see the other person's perspective, particularly when it feels very other-
1: yeah, but haven't you ever grown up? Oh,
0: I'm I'm thing? really good at it, but I'm just yeah. saying for a lot of people, it's difficult.
1: Yeah, but if you think back to a time, for most people, I think they can think back to a time where they changed their mind about something. What's your know.
0: earliest memory of um, changing your mind about something?
1: So when I was a kid, I was a really picky eater. And as you know now, I am a really diverse eater. And
0: like, I'm not sure that's consistent. <laughs> I don't know if I've dined with you enough okay. to really know that.
1: Okay, well... Anyway, I used to really only eat like bread and pasta and I was a vegetarian for a long time. So when I was in high school, um, I started, my my boyfriend's father would cook uh, all these different foods and I started trying them and I changed my mind every time I tried something new and I liked it.
0: What was the first food you ate that you thought you wouldn't like, but then you liked do you remember? Squid risotto. squid risotto.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That for me was a really big deal. And it was kind of intimidating to, to eat, but yeah, he used to make like
0: all this kind of stuff. And what was the intimidating part?
1: The, the squid or the,
0: or the rice? <laughs> the tentacles. The tentacles were,
1: were a lot for me to take at the time, but I,
0: no. I, I, uh, yeah. What? Yeah. No, that I mean, it doesn't bother you. No, I wasn't going to say that. I I get, you know, but I I was thinking I used to eat octopus, but I've developed a a desire not to eat octopus (laughs) because I read I read an article about this really really smart octopus who, like the researcher, uh, like couldn't capture because it was too smart. You know,
1: so you changed your mind the other way,
0: right?
1: So based on something that you read in a book. Well, it was was online. Okay, but I'm just saying that kind of thing happens all the time.
0: Well, I mean, the question is, well, how do you sort of like? Well, what if you don't change your mind, though? What if you still disagree with the other person's perspective? You know, maybe they still like a political leader and Mm -hmm. you'll you're never going to like that political leader. You're never you're never going to eat that squid risotto of a political leader, but you're still going to understand like their point of view. And they have a sort of a right to have their point of view, and there's room, you know, for everyone's point of view. But there's only room for everyone's point of view um, if we can actually live together, right? You know, if we can follow the same rules. So you you see a big problem with that, um, like with masks, for example. It's fine to respect someone someone's point of view that maybe they, they don't want to f- wear a mask because they feel it impinges their their constitutional rights. Um, And that's okay if you're like on the beach or something, not too Mm -hmm. close, but then it's impinging on your rights. If you want to wear a mask to go into, you know, a supermarket. I had that experience a bunch of times where I wanted to go into a store and someone was like lingering and I didn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so I had to sacrifice what felt like my rights. I guess that's part of being in a free society. I, I don't know. How do you see it?
1: Yeah, I guess it is. I see it as um people have different you know levels of information. People have different feelings, right? There's a lot about masks and versus anti-masks and all over the internet. So people are getting their information in different places. Everybody thinks that what they're reading is the, you know, foremost authority on it. I just think that it's possible to disagree with someone's stance on something and not uh, sort of condemn them as a person. So oh, right? It's a sort of a black and white thinking. But
0: know. what if the person you're trying to dialogue with doesn't see it that way? and they're they're not willing to take your point of view into account? And not only that, but maybe you know they feel so badly toward you that you know you're you're maybe not safe with them that stuff but that's kind of they, a on starter They right?
1: can feel uh, they can not want to take in my point of view, but I'll certainly take in someone else's and I can only that's all I can control
0: Right this is the yeah. this is the trickiest part about trying to sort of build do conflict resolution because mm-hmm. the parties have to be receptive enough. I'm thinking about what this has to do with the new year and sort of fake news and mm-hmm. I suppose a lot of people are looking forward to what you're calling re- like a new normal is is returning to what feels like a more rational, shared reality. Yeah. For other people, it's going to be returning to, um, a more distorted reality.
1: What do you mean by that?
0: Well, people who, you know, people who might believe, um, share some of the views of the more, uh, r- radical right or left for mm-hmm. that matter, you know, aren't going to agree. You know, like I, I have, I have, a, a, someone I know on social media who is not, he's not like right-wing Mm-hmm. And he's not ultra left. He He's he's a socialist and he believes that our democracy is is broken and mm-hmm. that the president elect is is essentially a puppet for, you know, for corporate interests. Um, and I would say, OK, that's you're entitled to that point of view. I don't have a strong opinion about it, mm-hmm. but his behavior, the president elect's behavior is more conventional. So it's reassuring. Right. For a lot right. of people, yes,
1: it seems more measured, more boundaryed. Um, but there are always going to be people on the outskirts who hold on very tightly onto certain beliefs.
0: Right. Well, seventy million people on the outskirts who who voted for for Donald Trump. You know. Yeah,
1: but do you think all of those people hold on to those fringe beliefs? No, I think they had different reasons and their own reasons, and I think most of them the majority of them will probably accept Biden.
0: I'm not convinced that they're all fringe beliefs. Uh, You know, so I think think one of the things that happens when you other is you (laughs) tend to exclude information that's contrary to what you already believe. So there, you know, I'm not going to get into the, arguments about sort of the details, but on a behavioral level, they're very different The 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 Trump and and Biden. My fantasy is maybe that actually, um, there won't be a new year that it'll stay 2020 for a while. Like maybe my
1: nightmare. Someone (laughs) will get on
0: the TV and they'll be like, the the year's not changing actually. Oh God, that'd be awful. Then we'd never have a new inauguration. No, I just want it to be. It's brilliant. (laughs) No, I just want it to be like people
1: celebrate quietly in their homes we have this like serene birth of of 2021 and then we sort of grow into a better year
0: well i I respect your point of view even if i don't see it the same way yeah though i don't i don't feel um i feel generally optimistic really yeah about about the future
1: but like how do you think people are going to heal from everything that we went through this year
0: That presumes that people will heal from what we went through this year.
1: Yeah, I'm presuming that people will heal because I believe pretty strongly in the power of the the human spirit to reconstitute and survive. I
0: think think people will come to terms with it um, (laughs) through grieving and collective memorialization. Mm -hmm. I also think as soon as there's a feeling of general safety if if the vaccines work out. I think a lot of people are essentially just going to go back to the way things are, which is which is good. Yeah. Um. In terms of healing, though, I don't think um, I don't think we have collectively healed in any significant way from the 9/11, from Vietnam War, from the Korean War, from the Holocaust, World War II, from I don't know that we've healed from the Civil War. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I feel like that's such a thorny question, which has to do with sort of how will humanity come to terms with itself. And so I think we'll come to terms with COVID and with the the U.S. presidency. Mm-hmm. Though I, I read an article that is predicting that Trump will announce his candidacy for 2024 on you know the inauguration day, mm-hmm. but I don't think we have to heal you know right away. I think healing takes time. And mm-hmm. sometimes if you try too hard to heal, then it, it sort of interferes. Mm-hmm. How are you gonna heal?
1: I'm not sure. I'm gonna try to spend time with the people that I care about as much time as I can while we're here. And I'm gonna try to do stuff that I enjoy, even if it feels frivolous at times. That oh, of
0: frivolity is great.
1: Yeah, I think it's good to get back to some just lightness.
0: I like to I like to watch comedy sometimes. Yeah, that's great. But laughter's got a lot of physiological benefits, mm-hmm. psychological benefits. I mean, there are other things that
1: people can do that just feel good and feel fruitful, and and that we can get better from from this. So,
0: do you think it's bad to feel sad or morose or grim ever?
1: No, I think if we're in a place where those are the feelings, then we sit with them and and accept them in that moment. But I'm just saying that I don't know how long people can stay with that before they need something a little different, right. And I'm ready for something a little different.
0: <laughs> well, that's almost like a skill, sort of tolerating distressing feelings. I saw, um, I saw on Facebook that someone, uh, sort of Facebook friend, mm-hmm. another therapist, probably I've never met him in person, uh, but he posted something. What are you doing these days to keep yourself from being completely overwhelmed? And people were like, Epsom salt baths, working out, studying, going to physical therapy, playing with my dog, meditation. Mm -hmm. And so um, I felt a little bit obnoxious, though I got some positive feedback right away. So it made me feel a little better. Mm -hmm. I wrote keep from being completely overwhelmed? How about being overwhelmed at times and moving along? Or does overwhelmed mean functional impairment necessarily? That's interesting.
1: I mean, I think you knew what he was sort of getting at, but you were wanting to be.
0: No, no, I have a real point. I mean, my real point is that it's okay to feel overwhelmed. Yeah. And that doesn't mean the end of the world unless you really start spinning with a reactive anxiety, Yeah. right? Then people go into like a panicish state, right? I feel right. overwhelmed. Then what's your worst case scenario? Like, okay, I'm you know, I'm not gonna be able to function at all. It's like generally that doesn't happen, right?
1: Right. Most people can feel overwhelmed and continue to do the things that they need to do, but then maybe it's that you get grounded in your day to day routine.
0: Yeah, I, I think twenty twenty one will bring a lot of positive changes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I'm trying to think if I have any resolutions. I think I'm gonna stick with my long-standing resolution that you made in 84 or something. in, in it was the Orwellian year, probably. Okay. Yeah. 1984, yeah. double, double think, double speak, <laughs> new speak and double think. Yeah, definitely at the beginning of the last four years, everyone was like Orwell, Orwell, Orwell. Man. And we, we live in this weird reality now. It's, it's so interesting to me uh, around the election that, you know, the, the fake news thing is kind of like, you know, that's um, a double edged sword. You know, yeah. you can you can try to use communication to distort the truth, but it can easily be turned back on you because uh, other people can do that, too. Right. Or there are many different truths. I don't know. That's right. And self-deception is really healthy. Yeah. You know, in a lot of ways, the illusions, a lot of them are adaptive that we live yeah. with. Um, I saw another another paper I was looking at, which it's it was like, we're not rational. People are not rational. Right. We rationalize. And so we need to create a narrative that works. But yeah. the narrative that works doesn't necessarily have to match whatever sort of objective reality is, mm-hmm. especially if we don't agree on what objective reality is, um, you know, the consensual validation. Mm -hmm. isn't there. You know, we live in different worlds, kind of. I tell you, I'm disappointed about 2020, though, because to me, 2020 was always the title of Arthur C. Clarke's book, 2020. And Mm -hmm. 2020 always represented some kind of utopian year when humanity would be in the future and and be in a much better place. And it's it doesn't seem to have uh, played out that way. Yes, also, 2020 not. is like vision, you know, like yeah. clear, clear-sightedness. In a way, I do think we've become more clear-sighted. I
1: think so too. I was going to say, I think that's the one thing is now we all see things a little bit more clearly. That can be kind of a springboard to a more positive
0: world. My wish for 2020 is that, we develop wisdom in response Mm -hmm. to what we've been living through and really learn it together and apply it together. I was actually super pleased to see the United Nations Chief Mm -hmm. Gutierrez giving a talk about the state of the world. I think we need to see ourselves as one world. We really need to see how interdependent we are. That
1: is something that could come down the pipeline for 2021. So that's my hope. That- We connect with each other, that there's less animosity and contempt and more
0: just affection
1: between people. That's what we look for. That's what we go towards.
0: Kumbaya, (laughs) in the best possible sense. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Check us out. Check out our other podcasts at www.doorknobcomments.com. We appreciate your positive ratings. Yeah. If you have anything negative to say, please email us at hello <laughs> at doorknobcomments.com and you can, can find frame us it on... in the best possible light because sensitive. Yeah. Or at least, yeah. Give us a lot of stars and then write yeah. something nasty. Okay. You don't have to be consistent. You can be self-contradictory <laughs> okay. yes. and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter and and Facebook as well we're more active on Instagram but you can also find yourself on Instagram I I do I do a lot of soul searching so weird okay (laughs) (laughs) well I I hope we have a very very normal 2021 because being normal is working out so well for all of us (laughs) as long as we just conform and remain Mm -hmm. conventional and don't rock the boat everything will be fine.
1: All right. Thanks very much. Yep. (laughs) We're we're
0: trailing off, but have a happy new year. Stay safe, be loving, Mm -hmm. be compassionate and, and look out for yourself too. Mm One disclaimer, this podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of psychiatry or any type of medicine. It's not a substitute for professional and individual treatment services and no doctor patient relationship is formed. If you feel that you may be in crisis, please don't delay in securing mental health treatment.